This is The Law. Live audio wrestling with the latest news, info, and interviews from the world of pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and the best of combat sports worldwide. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Tidwell and Brady Weta. Telling you right now, man, if that song does not get you hyped up for some wrestling, some wrestling, if you will, you ain't old enough to understand where it comes from. This is the Law of Live Audio Wrestling. That is the only music that is older than me, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about some old school Saturdays for myself as a child, watching some of that WTBS from the studios where I fell in love with such characters like like Nikita Koloff and those 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 Magnum TA matches with Dusty Ric Flair Ooh, the four yeah, horsemen maybe. showing up like the original four horsemen not like you know Mongo McMichael and Lex Luger four horsemen or whatever some bullshit that was <clears throat> You thank saying, you so brother? much. To, thank you so much to everybody who's hanging out with us this week. Uh, it's been crazy. It's been a wacky kind of a week, no doubt about it. And I'm glad that I got my Mr. Bobalina, Mr. Da Bobalina. Brady Wedham. I'm Bob Dabalina now. You are Mr. Dabalina. Mr. Bobalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, Mr. Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. Love that stuff. It's proper. You look at me like this is not a guy who listens to De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest. Well, you'd be wrong and uh, a little left of center, if you know what I'm saying. Um, So, Brady, I want to get into it this week. I want to get into it a little bit. And we're going to talk about this a little later on. Give everybody a chance. Everybody a chance to digest what's been happening. What are they digesting there, Chris? So we're going to talk about now we are into the last three UFC 298, UFC 299, and UFC 300, the big one. We are moving on. It's their WrestleMania. It's like the WrestleMania of uh, MMA <laughs> would be UFC 300. And this weekend, we have UFC 298 coming up, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to break down that uh, main card, if you will. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened Recently, with The Rock turning, quote, quote, I'm throwing him up there, air quotes, heel at that presser in Las Vegas, leading up to WrestleMania XL, the XL, the extra large. Rocky sucks. Rocky sucks. We love Rocky. (laughs) No, we want Cody. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. The Cody kiss asses, I think, is what they're calling them or something. Crybabies. Like. Cry Cody's crybabies. Same thing. Cody's crybabies. Are those shirts made yet? Uh, they're on. They're definitely on their way. They got to be coming. They got to be. be. And we're going to talk a little bit about time permitting, you know, because <laughs> we're on a schedule. We're going to talk a little bit about Scott Demore's recent uh, excommunication from Anthem Sports. What really happened and where? Where is he going? He gone. That's the most important thing. So, was your week as busy as all of that, Brady? Mm, So busy that we didn't put out an episode of The Law. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. Well, Well, that was, uh, okay. We tried. Well, yeah. We tried as much as we're going to try on a Super Bowl Sunday. 
It didn't succeed. We didn't succeed. Listen, it had nothing. Just to like do San Francisco. <laughs> Just yeah. like San Francisco, we did not succeed. Right? Yeah. How you doing today, Debo Samuel? Huh? Punk? I won money on the coin toss, and I turned the game off after it was done. So I won uh, coin toss. Who won the coin toss? The, uh, the 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 national anthem being under. No. And who scored first? And then that was pretty much it. We bet on the weirdest shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It was. Can't. I mean, do you consider yourself a degenerate? Well. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wearing a fucking Gucci hat, dude. You you don't get to you don't get to have that moniker without doing stupid shit like betting on coin um, tosses. You know how much of a degenerate I am. I'm wearing right. the same sunglasses that Dylan yeah. Dennis wore through his entire Logan Paul fight presser media. That and you know what? Be- and I and I had them before that, so that shows you how much of a real douchebag I am. And you've thrown just as many punches. I I, I threw the same amount of punches that night. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. So, what else are we get into? It's just we're going through the UFC, which I yeah. want to talk about. Yep. Definitely going to talk about The Rock being a, a bad boy. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about Mr. Yeah. Mr. Now, now, we're also going to, I also would be remiss if I didn't mention this. I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's a lot of, a lot of goddamn criminals this past week. People being wanted, people being arrested. Did you hear this one? This is where I was kind of aiming. Yeah. What do you um, want to start? Let's start with Teddy. Let's start with our boy, Teddy Hart. I don't know anything about this Teddy situation. Explain to me what's going on with poor Teddy. Oh, he just has a bench warrant out for him. That's all. It you know, bench warrant because he, fa- he failed to appear in court, apparently, in Florida. Florida? <laughs> so this is the Diddy situation that he's in. <laughs> Shocking. So he got busted for running a red light, speeding. Oh, okay. Um, so it's not the and, Diddy. And they found, they found a bunch of, uh, they found some pot. And a whole bunch of MDMA. And he mm. copped to it. He copped to it, apparently. Nope, no problem. Mm-hmm. Supposed to go to court, didn't show up to court. Now there's a bench warrant. So, that, mm. I mean. That's slap on the wrist stuff in, in terms of, you know, breaking the law. What else he got for me? Billy Jack Haynes. Oh, shit. I don't know if you remember Billy Jack Haynes. This is a guy who, back in the day, woof. One of the coolest gimmicks for myself growing up. You know what I mean? If I don't know if you remember Don Owen and uh, Portland Wrestling. Portland mm-hmm. was one of these companies that had like, um, for myself in the 80s, Piper went through there, David Schultz, Rip Oliver, Buddy Rose, Chris Adams, uh, Iceman King Parsons. They later on went down to uh, world class, right? And yeah, well, WCCW, yeah, they were they were the most over dudes outside of the Von Ericks, you know what I mean? And the, yep. and the Freebirds, of course. So, like, Don Owens Portland wrestling was fantastic. Billy Jack Haynes was one of these dudes, you know, even on top of like Matt Bourne, you know what I mean? Was one of these dudes when you watched him, you were like, holy shit, that's a tough son of a bitch. This is a next level kind of dude, yeah, bit of a psychopath, apparently, through life. Well, you're okay. If anybody has seen him recently, whether that's through a shoot interview or any sort of interview that he's done uh, in the past five, 10 years, he has what you call a bullet. And um, that's his haircut. It's a bull mullet. (laughs) And it's, I believe it's a wig that he was wearing two different. He wears one wig and then wears another one on top of it. Oh, okay. And that's been his style for a bit. And uh, he lost his teeth years ago, Mm. which we all do. 
right? He he's he lost his teeth years ago, but decided to not pursue getting teeth. Um, so he looked like the dude that would come. Like, let's say you went to North Carolina and showed so to anybody from North Carolina. And in the mountains of North Carolina, there's people that have never been to town ever. They don't know what town is. Um, he looks like he came down from the mountains from there to town. And he so, was about to tell you about, you know, his donkey, his donkey farm that he's got mm-hmm. and his donkey's sick and he needs medicine. This is what he's been looking like yeah. for a while. So I'm not surprised that he's in the news. What did he do? Steal something? Well, well it looks like, no, a little bit worse than that. Uh, it looks like Billy Jack Whitaker um, has gone and shot his wife. Fuck, really? He has shot his wife to the point where she did. Was he still living she- in Atlanta? No, this was in in right outside of Portland where he's been. Okay, so he's okay, because at one point I think he said he was living he was living in Atlanta because he was Chris Benoit's best friend before Chris Benoit killed Nancy. Now I know there's some attachment to Nancy because Nancy got in the business originally by taking pictures with some of the workers. And I think her first photo shoot was a Brady Boone photo shoot, something like that. Crazy so, stuff. You know what I'm saying? Which is Billy Jack, if anybody's yeah. listening that doesn't know. Um, they thought he was going to be like the next Brody Hogan. Like he was a mix of Brody and Hogan put together. He was like the perfect package. Uh, until you heard him talk. Until Well, until the boys got to know him too, right? <laughs> like I think once the locker room, this is why he went from. Because mm-hmm. he, real quick, he came up to, he went up to New York. They took pictures of him. They put him on the front yeah. page of, of their, their magazine. They tried to work with him a bit. Then he was back down in Portland. Then he was off over here in Texas. Then he was back over to Portland. Mm-hmm. And he was in Florida. Then he was back over to Portland. And it wasn't really like a territory thing. These were quick moves. So, like, he wasn't in the, he was in the business for, what, a cup of coffee, realistically? Oh, not that long. Like, he, he had a, you know, quick little stint. And that was it. Okay. Like nothing more ran a promo and pfft, they were like, Oh boy, Oh boy, this is not going to work out so well. But in Portland it's a beast, absolute monster, but it shows that there's levels and you can get exposed very quickly. As soon as you chat, you, you can get exposed very quickly. When you get to that level, Billy Jack Haynes was one of those guys. I'm sorry if for if you read the private chat, but yeah, I, yeah, I apologize, listeners and watchers. <laughs> Tid's ribbing me as the show is going on. He's ribbing me. <laughs> no need to to discuss what we're talking about. Uh, okay, so yeah, that's why I was in the private chat, you dildo. No, I figured like out and yes, and now you're the asshole that doesn't fill them in on the joke. So, uh, nope. yeah. <laughs> so, so Billy so Jack like gets Billy arrested. Jack, he, yeah. Off, I seen, yeah, he had a standoff with the, the, the police. That somebody heard shots, they called the cops. It took about two or three hours to get him out of the house. Once they did get him out of the house, they entered the home. They had seen that his wife was, yeah, shot dead. And I guess he's, he's as far as I can read, uh, in the reports, he's he after the two hour standoff, he went willingly. Yeah, of course, he did. Yeah, think about it at this age for him. He's already he's already lived a huge chunk of his life, you know, behind bars as it is already. And he got out, and now, now he doesn't have to pay rent or a mortgage well, or whatever. 
No, and but I, I seen him jail. on. There was a video, whether it's like if it was a top ten or a cultaholic or whoever on YouTube here, um, okay. that had done a, a video years ago about murderers in pro wrestling, mm-hmm. like people who have killed people, whether it was like out of self defense or whatever it was, and his name was on that list. I think he's already sure. killed somebody. Yeah, so there was a story that went around. Apparently, um, if you look it up, you can Google. I think it's like kids on the tracks or something like that. No, not it was outside yeah. of this. But I know what you're no, talking no, no. about with the kids and, on the tracks. He was a witness or something. Yeah, he had something. Well, to do apparently, with it. according to him, in in stories that he has said, this is how much you know. Take it for a grain of salt. Billy Jack Haynes, bit of another. He yeah, said he, he was, was part of it. I forgot about that. He said he I was forgot. part of it. I forgot. This, See, this, ladies and gentlemen, we don't do any research. We just go live for you. This is this is just the stuff that I know off the top of my head. I forgot. You know, from 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 trying to remember stuff. But Billy Jack Haynes, bit of a nutter. So it's not a surprise that this is that this has happened, and he's going to spend yeah. the remainder of his life behind bars at a cost to the taxpaying dollars of the citizens out on the outside. Well, it's it's unfortunate if any of his family is, you know, if he does have family, uh, hopefully, you know, we all listen. All out. It's no it's no secret how I think about prisons and I think them their business. That's no that's what they are. Yeah. They are business. I wonder because we have like you have like the hardened prisons and then you have like your middle of the road. And then you have your white collar ones, you know, uh, you know, where the 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 people like um uh, Martha Stewart go to. Look, you know we don't have I mean? any thumbnails for institutionalized. Sorry, keep going. I was just looking <laughs> to see if we had anything we can pop up on the screen. I wonder, I wonder how long, because we're starting to get to the point where there's going to be more and more people. I wonder how long it's going to be before we're able, somebody is in the United States is going to open up a prison and it's going to be just for nothing but um, ex-professional wrestlers and MMA fighters. And they got closed a couple years ago, sports. man. No, right? no, we seem to t- we seem to either off ourselves or off everyone in the room around us. Apparently, wild stuff. Yeah, wild stuff. Right. So, now. 2024. Uh, we're into February, boys and girls, and this has been mind boggling. And that's a good time uh, for for me to to click one of these sponsor blocks. How about that? Uh, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and when we sure. come back, we will talk about the UFC and our oh, yeah. upcoming UFC pay per view. TotalSportCards.com, Canada's number one stop for WWE, AEW, UFC, NHL, NBA, and NFL hobby boxes. Total Sport Cards always delivers the most sought-after products with the best price points in the market that you can find. Keep your collection up to date with TotalSportCards.com. TotalSportCards.com, proud sponsor of Sunday night's main event. Have you checked out East End Hamilton's newest live music venue? Vertigogo is keeping DIY music alive in the 905. January 28th, Terry Green. February 3rd, Decade. February 4th, Punk Rock Matinee with Gag Order. And in the evening, Night of the Holy Spirit Drag Show. February 15th, Cheap Chocolates. February 23rd, Golden Shitters. March 8th, Sons of Arrakis. Vertigogo brought to you by Fuck You 2 Productions. Fanatickets.com. Dude, I am so stoked for the Golden Shitter show. Are you going to be there? 
No, that's just what I call mine. So oh. I'm just really surprised well, that somebody else thought about that name. Way to put yourself over. I'm nice to my body. Hmm. That's hmm. what they used to call you when you were an altar boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moving on. Welcome back to the law live audio wrestling uh, 2.0. And All right. uh, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit of the UFC 298. We are on the road to 300. Brady. And this, I mean, listen, this main card is not going to disappoint. Let's start off. Let's start off very quickly with the first one, Anthony Hernandez, the number 15 guy against a non-ranked Roman Kapilov. This is exactly what you need to do. And you're going to, I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Let's go. How I believe the rankings in the UFC are utter garbage absolute atrocious now outside of this what you have and you're going to see a pattern because i'm going to lay this out later outside of this this is exactly what you want you have the number 15 guy in anthony hernandez okay taking on who's a submission machine taking on a dude like roman kopalov who is a knockout artist trying to get into the rankings this is the way you want this fight these fights to start this is perfect. Do I think that, um, you know, Roman Kopalov should be fighting a lot more? Yeah, absolutely. Here's a guy who's got a lot of buzz on him trying to get into the top 15, but he only fights once a year, Brady. So on paper, he's only making, you know, eh, what, 30K a fight? You think you can live on $30,000 a year in Russia? No. 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 So. That fight is going to be a banger because I don't think that Anthony Hernandez understands the power that Kopalov has in those hands. It's unbelievable. Moving on. What were you stating about the rankings? Are you, are you building a case here? You'll see. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. And this is probably, this is a fight that this is where it starts to get baffling for me. You've got a fight in the bantamweight division. Okay, <clears throat> two guys, one in Marab Devalishvili and the other in Henry Cejudo. Okay, Marab Devalishvili is the number two guy in the Bantamweight division. You know who the number three guy is? Henry Cejudo. But that doesn't make any sense because let's look at this for a second. Henry Cejudo's last fight, okay? It was against Aljamain Sterling, a fight that he had taken after a three-year layoff. His last fight before that was in, it was in 2020 against Dominic Cruz. Doesn't fight anymore. Against Marlon Moraes. Marlon Moraes. Retired. Went mm-hmm. over to PFL. Completely retired. TJ Dillashaw. Retired. Doesn't fight anymore. Gone. Demetrius Johnson. Those are his last fights. Those are Cejudo's last fights. He comes back, gets an instant title shot, loses, but they give him a ranking of number three in that division. And we're talking about we're talking about a division uh, that has Corey Sanhagen at number four. Yeah. Henry Cejudo's never fought Corey Sanhagen. He's never fought Marlon Vera. He's never fought Song Yudong. Hell, he hasn't even fought the number nine guy in Rob Font. Why is it that? Henry Cejudo has such a high ranking. 
because they don't mean shit. Rankings don't mean shit. Why hasn't Marab Dvalishvili gotten a title shot yet up to this point? Well, that's a different fucking kettle of fish. Whoa, whoa, look at you going. You're just trashing the place. You're getting all your paperwork mixed up. You know why? You know why he hasn't gotten a title shot? Because every one of his fights, short of a small handful, are decision fights. And nobody, yeah, those small hands. And then nobody wants to see decision fights at that championship level. Remember, the funniest thing and the greatest thing that he ever did was put on Sean O'Malley's Michael Jackson jacket. Yeah. Right? He's got a, he has a great autograph, though. Devalishvili? A little smiley face on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because you try spe- you try writing out Devalishvili time after time after time. He used right? to write smiley faces, then he little little dots on the three eyes at the end. Like, dude, he's got a really good, really good little uh, little auto. He likes to play around. Now, Mar- yes. Matched up, though. These two match up very well. It's a good fight. It's a great fight, but it do- I don't understand. Like, this is what I'm getting at here, okay? Keep so going. let's move on a little bit. Uh, we're talking about Jeff Neal and Ian Gary. Now, yes, Ian Gary has a ton of hype behind him. His Man, last fight, hype or hate? What are, what are you saying? Hype or hate? Well, it depends on what side of the political spectrum you seem to be on. Mm, not the cucking one. Well, then there you go. Yeah. His last fight, his last fight, uh, he's had what? One, two, three, four, five, six fights in the UFC. His last fight was his first fight against any kind of ranked opponent. And that was Neil Magny, who's ranked number 12 in the UFC. Yes. Okay? Yes. And now in his next fight, he's going out there to fight Jeff Neal. Who's he, ranked was, he was scheduled to fight originally, and originally, then Magny stepped in. Yeah, Jeff Neal, Jeff Neal got, got injured. Neil Magny steps in. Some Neal on Neal love. It's great. Got no problem with that. Jeff Neal is the number eight welterweight in the division right now. Okay. Ian Gary is moving up slowly. I get that. No problem. Because if you think about it, Jeff Neal, his last fight was against the number three guy, right? Against Shavkat. So I get that. And this is a division where rankings should actually matter. They don't seem to in the other ones. Are you seeing what I'm getting at here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's move along to the next one. This fight. On paper, look at it. It's fantastic. This fight, Robert Whitaker, this, this fight Paul, years ago was is a pay-per-view. Well, at least you've got something a little bit closer in the rankings. You've got the number three Whitaker taking on the number six Paulo Costa. Yeah, which is okay. good. That's a good good ratio there. Of, of, is it is, is 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 Paulo Costa's ranking at number six warranted? His last fight was against Luke Rockhold. Yeah, that was a while ago. Right? No, it was 22, right? He won a unanimous decision. Won a unanimous decision against Luke Rockhold. Which was a... That was a fight straight out of a Mad Max movie, man. Weird. It's like Fight Club blood in them. Tyler Durden's dumbass, man. Before that, it was was back-to-back losses from Marvin Vittori and Izzy. Yes. Okay? Which we know how those... Those fights went. They were not good fights. They're boring fights. But he still managed to keep a number six ranking uh, in that division. When you've got, you know, a number seven, Brandon Allen, 
right at the door. Nasardine Amavov, who we just saw what he just did. Yaker Monson, who's sitting at number 10, right? Why aren't these guys getting these fights? Jared Cannonier, I see it. They're number five. Uh, Marvin Vittori, Jared Cannonier, Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya, Sean Strickland, your champion is DDP. So I get that top five part. But the fact that Robert Whitaker is three and two in his last five. Yeah, he hasn't had a good, he hasn't had a good, uh, he hasn't had a, a crazy loss streak, but he hasn't had a good bout of luck. His yeah. luck is, uh, has been barren. Uh, he's getting up in age too. Think mm-hmm. about that. You yeah. know what a I mean? lot of, a lot of dog fights he was in as well, right? He was in a lot of decisions, a lot of long fights. Absolutely. Well, he's got what, what is it? What's his, his overall record is like 25 and seven. Mm-hmm. That's so a lot talking- of fights. That's yeah. a ton of fights when you're talking about a guy that he's going up against who is what, like uh, 11 and something, mm-hmm. you know, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous how they match up some of these guys. A lot of these guys were like 11 and two against 11 and three and 12 and four, you know, pretty close. But when you're talking about a couple of these Australian guys, holy crow, the amount of fights that they put themselves through, which... Okay. Brings us to our main event, Brady. Our main. We've got... Uh, How excited are you for this main event? I don't... I, so I've learned my lesson before with betting against Volk. I told myself okay. I would never bet against Volk. I right. bet against Volk. No, it, it paid off. Mm-hmm. And I've bet on Volk, and it hasn't paid off. I think Ilya Tapura is coming into his own with this fight. I do not think he's part of the hype train stuff. But we're going to see. Hmm. We're going to see if this if this dog uh, is too old to fight still or if Volk comes out with the same Volk from, let's just say, before pandemic. Okay. The Volk before the pandemic. I don't think okay. Ilya is, is experienced enough to get through a fight, a dog fight with Volkanovsky. So what, what in your mind makes you think that Ilya Tapuria is ready for that spot? Let me get this to you very quickly, okay? Give me the he's rundown had, of his last his last few. He's had, we'll he's had six there. fights. He's had six fights in the UFC. Yep. Only two of those six fights have been against ranked opponents. One hundred percent. You're right. And neither of them have been top five opponents. Josh Emmett was his last fight, mm-hmm. who's ranked number seven. Bryce Mitchell was his fight before that. Bryce is ranked number ten. Mm-hmm. Jai Herbert, Ryan Hall, Damon Jackson, Yusef uh, Zalal. Those are his previous fights in the UFC since the beginning, none of which to this day are even ranked opponents. So riddle me this, Batman. How is it that Ilya Tapuria is ranked number three in this division? Because of his impressive finishes. And Bullshit. You, that's well. I'm not telling you. I made the rankings. You asked me a question, and I'm trying to make some sense out of it. And what I'm trying to make sense out of is, if he's number three and he's fighting for a title, uh-huh. they think he's impressive. Okay. Is he more impressive than Movsar? Yes. Is he more impressive than an Arnold Allen? I think he's on Arnold. I think. Uh, I think. Yeah, I would say yes. Is he more impressive than what Dan Ige did this past weekend? No. Oh, because he, Dan Ige is number 12. No, no, okay, no. But Dan Ige also had a had a bad run there for a minute. Okay. 
So is Movsar more impressive than a Brian Ortega? Mm, it's similar to me. I'm just going by opinion here. This is this is the my hypothesis. It, it's it's hypocrisy. No, no, it's my hypothesis. that you're looking for. Yeah, hypothesis. Uh, because this is what I'm saying about these rankings. They don't mean shit. I would have loved to see the real fight that Ilya is supposed to be in, and that's against Patty. He owes him <laughs> for the fucking sanitizer bottle to the forehead, and they've been trying to keep those two away from each other. And I know that realistically. If Tapuria ends up taking this title, okay, that's the fight they're they're going to build up to for Patty because it's just going to make money, and Patty's going to be like, "Well, I don't really care if I get my head ripped off and sent into, you know, what I mean, the nosebleed section because I'm going to get paid ten million dollars on the way out." Sure, but I mean, is it who's who's it going to benefit? Who, do, who does it? it absolutely benefits to Puria mm -hmm. because if like, what do you got? You've got Patty Pimblett who, you know, walks around at what? We've talked about this before. We're not like the Patty thing. I think he's just, he's, uh, he's been injured a few times and he's been overhyped a bit mm -hmm. from, because of merchandise sales and things like that. And you attach his name and you're going to sell stuff. Sure. I think he's a forever, he'll forever make money off of his name until he does something dumb. Until, hence the word until, not if, but until he does something here, dumb. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Patty. You still have to take into consideration he is an unranked fighter, two oh, yeah. weight classes up from yeah. Tapuria. Yeah. Two. Yeah. And that's when he cuts weight down like 30, 40 pounds. Well, he's not going to cut 30 or 40 fucking pounds. They'll meet. In the no, middle. no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying like in, when he fights. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Big Patty yeah, yeah. blows up yeah. too. So if he wants yeah. to walk around at like, you know, damn near light heavyweight. <laughs> so supposedly, so no, supposedly he's, he's got that in check. He's walking well, around at like fighter weight. Apparently. Listen, if his bestie in meatball Molly, there is any indication of what they're doing over there right now. Yeah. He's he's got his weight in check. Yeah, now, Molly's a monster. Back to this, back to this main event here. All right, let's go. Let me hear your take on this fight. Because I don't think, I honestly do not think that Ilya Tapuria is in any way, shape, or form going to be a problem for Alexander Volkanovsky. Alexander Volkanovsky has only lost two fights in the last three hundred seventy-three thousand four hundred and sixty-three fights that he's been in. Okay. Yeah, that's, and those that's were not that both, many fights. Those were both against the same person. And it was Islam Makachev when he stepped up. Yes. Everybody thought that he did so much better in that first fight, obviously, than he did in the second fight. And, you know, whatever. Shit happens, but it's always. Though. There's a huge range difference with fighting a thousand like percent. Yeah, at a weight class higher than you. Outside of that, every single person that he's been in there with. And we're talking about the number two guy in Yair Rodriguez, the number one guy in Max Holloway, what, three, 4,000 times? Mm -hmm. The number four guy at the time, Chan Sung Jung, and the number of the, the other number four guy, Brian Ortega. He's been in there with all of these guys. Nobody at that weight class has been more dominant for a longer period of time than Alexander Volkanovsky. And for that reason and that reason alone, until you prove it otherwise, you do not bet against Alex for this. And so I think that you're going to see that this hype train that is Ilya Tapuria 
is really just like hand sanitizer. Mm. Boop. Very quick on the surface, psh, fades oh, away. Oh, that was a cute little reference you just made up there like that. Fades away just as fast. You huh? can sell haikus and stuff in books and at the Hallmark. Uh... One, of, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Haku? Haiku. Oh. <laughs> well, we, we learn something new every day. Okay, well, let's take another quick sponsor break. And when we get back, yes. we'll talk a little bit of wrestling before we get on out of here. But... uh uh yeah i really like what you did there thanks are you in the market for a used vehicle for your family or business north toronto auction hosts public auctions twice a month and everyone's invited hundreds of cars trucks suvs commercial vehicles and heavy equipment are available plus travel trailers motorcycles snowmobiles atvs and more view the entire selection at northtorontoauction.com bid online or bid in person Bid on items from government agencies, financial companies, fleet managers, car dealers, and public insiders. For more information, visit us online at NorthTorontoAuction.com. Hey, did you know that Saturday, February 24th, Destiny World Wrestling returns to Oshawa and the Children's Arena for Destiny's Reckless? Is that the event featuring the indie god himself, Matt Cardona? You bet it is. I heard he's not going to be there alone. I heard Steph DeLander showing up. I heard Fighter Flight is showing up. Vanna Black, Tara Zep, Lince Dorado, and a whole bunch more. Man, you better get your tickets now. They're on sale at www.destinywrestling.ca. Don't miss out. Hit that subscribe button to get all the latest from The Law, live audio wrestling. Now back to the show. That's right. We are back. And I don't know if you've got your tickets yet or not. If you don't get over there to destinywrestling.ca and get your damn tickets, Matt Cardona showing up is a blessing to all of you in the area. We're talking about a guy who is just voted number one, like greatest thing that isn't signed right now. You know what I mean? In the world. Mm -hmm. He's the indie God for a reason. Apparently he is the indie God. That show is jacked up. They have Lindsay on it. There's a, there's a, you can go uh, you go to destinywrestling.ca, go check out the list, and they've got a bunch of new shows that they announced that are upcoming. they got one in Mississauga coming up, another one in Toronto. Uh, they've got a lot coming up. Make sure you uh, take destinywrestling.ca, bookmark it, and check in on there. they also got a Facebook group. You can find them on social media, but yeah, go go check them out. They, they're probably the premier when it comes to bringing in names here in the, in the Toronto area, so... They're doing big things. They're doing a lot of fun stuff. So Massive stuff. Now, Brady, let me ask you this. Let's go. Let's say it's time to put on one of the biggest promotional events in the world, in the world mm. of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Given the landscape and the atmosphere of what's going on in professional wrestling right now and Wait the behind the scenes and are the you CNN about, stuff. Are you talking about the event Cyber Tuesday? They're bringing that back? I heard they were bringing heat back. Oh, shotgun Saturday night. Let's. Oh, I fucking I'd watch that. <laughs> right. Okay. So I, I got that topic. I oh, we're not. But let's say that you've got all of this stuff coming up, and all of a sudden something happens, and a big swerve in the original game plan gets thrown into the mix, and you've got to scramble and figure some stuff out, maybe perhaps or. This was all part of the plan all along. And part of this process is you put on this gigantic press conference Mm -hmm. on Super Bowl week in the town where Super Bowl is having their event. And 
you bring in the biggest name in professional wrestling, and some would say in the world of entertainment on the screen. I'm mm-hmm. talking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Mm-hmm. You bring him in for this presser, and you fill this thing up with you know fifteen to 18,000 people at the event, over 250,000 people just on YouTube alone watching this live as it happens. The crowd is already not not lukewarm to the idea of the announcement prior to that, that the rock said he was going to be the one to face Roman reigns. And they've got this, this plan in place. And during this press conference, this happens. Oh, do you have a bug on his face? The, the, the rock decides to play grandma Dwayne. Um, and, and get the smudge, get the smudge off of the face of Cody. Yeah, that wasn't a piece of cupcake. That's just one of his moles. Leave him alone. <laughs> here's my here's my question to you, because now everybody thinks, is the rock a heel? Oh my God, that was a heel. And then he got in yes, front and he was like, You talk about his bloodline, you talk about my bloodline. Mm-hmm. You talk about his family. You talk about my family. Yeah, we get it. You're related. You don't have to keep fucking going on about That's a it. pretty good impression. I think it you- was I mean, spot on. Dude, get we should get you some voice acting work and just call you the cock. I'm just I'm like Rich Little up in this thing. If Rich's name was Dick. Mm. Here's what I'm asking you right now. Do you really think that The Rock is a heel going into this? Or what if could you imagine if this whole thing is a swerve? Because that slap right there. Looks like nothing. And we've seen this before in the Brian Gerwitz era where guys have come out. Guys have come out in that, you know, oh, they hate each other. Bang. They give them the slap to prove that they don't like each other. But there's no there's no fist to cuffs. There was no big brawl on the stage. It was just a slap and a bunch of barking back and forth by little kids. They knew it was going to get broken up. Or did they need it to get broken up to put on the image of it? And you're still going to see Roman Reigns lose everything to Cody because of something The Rock does that keeps him in that babyface status. Well, one of the things that was predominant during this, uh, you can't see him in the picture, but Seth Rollins being there and kind of standing off to the side. A lot of people gave sure. him shit and gave that character shit, you know, what for him not stepping in or doing anything until... The Rock came up and slapped him, and he got pushed back. So they do they do Monday Night Raw, mm-hmm. and uh, Cody's out there talking. He's like, "Rock, you know, you put your hands on me," and he's like, "One thing about me, um, I'm I'm gonna hit you back." Mm-hmm. So then Seth comes out, and then uh, he's in the ring, and he's like, "Hey, look it, I respect you, and like you know, you're right. You should fight Roman Reigns for the belt, and and basically where we're at is that you can't do this alone, right? So I've got your back, right? And we'll take down the bloodline. It, it's great storytelling. It's like they, it's like they planned this the whole time. Wild, because they've got another pay per view coming up in between, in Perth. Right? Yeah. Um. And what better way to get this over than a tag match? This is Rock needs a warm up. They did it when with R Truth and Miz. When R Truth and Miz had a warm up match with Cena and and The Rock, I think they do need to do that. I think 
It sets also a tone for Rock, Rock versus Roman down the road too. If the Rock or Roman cost each other the match, well, what if? Could you imagine if we have this tag match leads to the Rock versus Seth Rollins in night one, Cody versus Roman in night two of WrestleMania? The Rock beats Seth Rollins in night one, so he's got a belt. But Roman loses to Cody in night two, now he's causing the heat between Roman and The Rock. I got my job done for the bloodline and our family to have this. What happened to you? Dude, TNA or AEW needs to hire you. <laughs> and then... And then you have the entire thing cashed in. Here comes Mr. Mr. Cash in himself, our truth with Damian Priest's briefcase. Don't fucking make me hurt, man. <laughs> I thought you would like that. We're on uh, YouTube. And we're uh, listening to podcast providers because we're going to give this to SMB Radio because we didn't put up an official episode, so they get this instead. Yay, midweek loveliness from us yep. here at the Live Audio Wrestling. Yes. So I'll, attach a lot of, I'll attach an interview. Don't worry. Keep listening, guys. There's a lot of, there is a lot of potential storyline coming out of this stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of different ways that they can go. And everybody seems to be so up in arms like, whoa, relax. Just let it play out. And you'll be happy. Only 50% of you are going to be happy. The other 50% are just going to be the miserable, pissed off people that you always are whenever no. you watch professional wrestling. Well, that's just professional wrestling fans. They don't like, you know, the biggest, uh, actually, we uploaded, a, we uploaded a short uh, on the YouTube channel today from your interview with Conrad from a, a, a couple months back. You guys can check mm -hmm. it out. Uh, go through the channel. There's an interview with uh, Chris and Conrad Thompson, or uh, infamous Conrad Thompson from Save the Conrad. Cheap plug. So... It says the same thing. He It kind of made him realize when he booked the Ric Flair match that he realized for the first time ever mm -hmm. that the people who hate wrestling the most are the fans themselves. Yeah. And it's a bit disheartening when you're, when you're a promoter or you're yeah. somebody that's in media and you only see negative. You know who I blame for this? Who do you blame, sir? Howard Stern. Mm -hmm. I blame Howard Stern because that culture was was bred and built by him we we talk about when he first started everybody was like oh half the people that listen to howard love half i love howard the other half that listen to howard hate him and they're just there to shit on him so we're we're officially we're back come that become that we're officially back in radio when we were we've committed to shitting on howard stern we're back at it we're back at it. So fuck Howard. Um, and wrestling, and I, fans, wrestling fans is nothing but a universe full of whack packers. Yeah, there. or pests. Or pests. I said it. At least the pests were more like a 4chan crowd. And shouts out to the 4chan crowd before you became <laughs> manipulated. Because when you guys were fucking with Shiloh LaBeouf or whatever his name is. Right. Oh yeah. my God, that was some good shit. Okay, so moving on from the WWE, I honestly yes. do. I, I agree with you. I think they are in the prime of storytelling right now i yeah. think everyone should sit back and just enjoy this ride because you're going to get everything you want and plus more let me ask you this brady no okay you asked me enough 
Have a good day. Okay. And good night. No. So what are you saying? Uh, let me ask you this. You ever had a job? No. Where, <laughs> because you've worked in acting, so you understand like the 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 preparation that it goes into setting up your dates and and booking your your accommodations in time and like you know none of this last minute bullshit stuff right you no, know where your job is going to be the the next week you know after that I'm going to be here and after that I'm going to be here but have you ever had it happen where you woke up one morning and all of a sudden you got a phone call that said yeah we don't need you on this set anymore in fact um we don't need you working for our studio ever again that ever happened to you? No, but I did that too. I did that to a television series. Okay. I woke up one morning and said, I'm not coming back to set. And they're like, what? There's two episodes left of this, of the season. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I quit. And they replaced you with a dog. They didn't replace me. They wrote oh. me out. Well, the see, last two episodes and then shut the whole series down after that. You got hit by a car and there's no need to come back. They well, didn't shut down because of me. It's just they you just you can see the writing on the wall. Oh my goodness, speaking of the writing on the wall. This is something that happened to Scott Demore. We've you know, a lot of people have talked about this, and this is exactly what happened to Scott Demore, the president of TNA Wrestling. After all of this time, being the guy most vocal about TNA, being the guy always putting it over, never say die attitude, would come out there and you know integrate himself into matches into main event matches to try to get the product over. Yeah. Probably get himself over at the same time, but mostly the product to get over. Then he finds out one day that, Hey, I'm fired. And everybody's like, what happened? What happened? What happened? Well, turns out that Scott Demore supposedly tried to buy TNA. He saw writing on the wall that there is great potential in this thing. In my opinion, I think that he saw that there is this new format coming out and TNA wrestling wasn't going to be a part of it. And the format I'm talking about is all of these streaming services coming together to form this mega streaming service where all sports all over the world, everywhere, all day, all the time, no matter what is being seen here. We're talking a streaming service where you can get PFL, Bellator, UFC, WWE, uh, ROH, AEW, any of these providers, be it ESPN or Warner Brothers, anything, all coming together in one spot. None of which were TNA because TNA owned by Anthem. Anthem probably not wanting to put a lot of money into what they want to do. And Scott saw that there needed to be money put into this thing. Thus, signing people like Dolph Ziggler, signing people like uh, um, Brooks, right? Signing talent to come in and help get that product over. Mm. I think then he went to offer to buy the company. Apparently story is that he offered to buy the company because he believes in that product. There's no doubt about it. As far as a company like TNA, nobody could be a better spokesman for TNA than Scott Demore, you know, but Anthem Anthem is a company that looks at their assets just as that they look at them as assets and this TV program is nothing more than an asset to them. And they said, wait a second. 
you think this thing is getting so popular and so big, maybe we need to get a little bit more involved. So do you, do you, do you know anything firsthand or you're just going off of reports and assumptions or what's going on here? Well, I do know that Scott knew about this ahead of time. Okay. I do know that uh, Scott had about, uh, you know, a few days anyways, this did not come as a surprise to him because I talked to Scott afterwards. I sent him a message saying, man, heard the news. Sorry to hear, you know, cause Scott and I, Scott and I have been trying to link up for a while now since mm -hmm. before Vegas, well, but it's always been like, just, you know, I'm busy. He's busy. We just haven't been able to do it. And he even says to me, he says, you know, now you know why I've been so hard to track down. I'm like, Absolutely. I get it. Mm -hmm. Right. And he, it wasn't an ambush. He knew about it, that it was coming, but he didn't know like, Oh, there's such and such time on such and such day. This is going to happen. Right. Nobody else seemed to know about it. He kept it pretty close to the vest that he knew it was coming. Right. He's always been a private guy when it comes to stuff like that. Look, me and you have known Scott for years. Any anybody in the Ontario well, wrestling industry, you've probably worked with Scott if you've been around for a minute. And he's been private about a lot of his stuff, so I'm not surprised. Well, there's no, there's also an unwritten kind of a thing in wrestling is that if you get something that's going to be big and happening to you, you keep your fucking mouth shut about it until after it's done. Because if you open up to somebody about it, chances are it can get screwed up. And then you look like a dope. So he was behind the scenes trying to get all of this stuff done for his friends, his family, his, you know, people that work for him that put all of their trust and belief into Scott to be, to make TNA what it was. They were bringing mm -hmm. it back by the TNA name, right? Was it the old TNA? No, no. So, so let That's me ask, let me ask you a question then. Sure. So Scott Scott's financially fine as far as everybody yeah. knows, unless he's a degenerate gambler or something like that. Scott seems to be fine. So does he retire from the wrestling industry and do something else, or do you think he shows up on, or shows up either on TV or backstage somewhere? Uh, do you think he shows up at a different company, and if so, what company? Well, I think that Scott Demore is um, too long in the tooth to be showing up on TV as a worker. Those days are done. Unless they bring back that shotgun Saturday night. No, no I just mean as a He always had a place there. Uh, yes, he could show up as a personality. Is he going to show up in the WWE? Like, he could be a very good hand to have on the creative end of things. There's no doubt about it. He, he's He's got a great brain for this. He's been around long enough, and he knows that end of it. He knows the TNA end of it for sure. Mm-hmm but it's being done somewhere already. And that somewhere is AEW. That mentality of the, we're not number one, but we are the best number two out there. You know, that, 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 that WCW mentality, that's what AEW has. That thing that sets them apart from WWE, that's what AEW has. So TNA to say that they needed to come back and, and make, you know, make things different, completely revolutionary it's going to be really hard to do because almost everything has been done already. Even ECW back in the day knew that they weren't going to be able to compete with WWE and a and WCW. So they went a more adult route. So that's been done. AEW, what they're doing with bringing in a couple of older names and a lot of young guys to fill it up. Very WCW, very TNA, what TNA did before. So that's been done again. So I don't know what revolutionary stuff TNA was really expected to do. And that's not a knock on any of the talent because they're still putting on great matches. You know, some, some five-star matches are coming out of TNA. There's no doubt about it. 
But as far as a creative mind goes, where do I think that Scott Demore would be best suited in AEW? Absolutely in AEW. They could use a guy like Scott. They could no doubt Scott. About it. Yeah, they could. And and I he's got, he's got friends there. He's got like Don Callis and, and he's, he knows like anybody that's been around for a minute knows Scott mm-hmm. or has some sort of relationship with Scott, probably more positive than negative. If you look at, at the response to what happened when he was fired, the, yep. the internet, you know, majority was a lot of fans saying like, thank you, Scott. And you know, this Reactors. sucks. And yeah, there was a lot of, there's a lot of people in the business themselves that came out and said, thank you very much, Scott, for everything you've done for me. Cause he's made a lot of opportunities for people. He's, he's very well uh, fucked a lot of people over too. And that's the price that you have to be when you're in a stage where you got to be a promoter and you're dealing with tons of personalities that all are out for the same goal themselves. So I get it. He could, he could be made out to be a bad person by a bunch of people. He could be made out to be the best guy ever, depending on what side of that coin you're on when you're dealing with them. But, I do think you're right. I think Scott's creative enough, and I think AEW has a lot of problems. So yep. adding somebody in there with experience isn't going to hurt. No. No. So in my opinion, I think that's where Scott ends up. Let's, let's, hope, let's hope he gets a job there and uh, wish him all the best. Yeah, there you go. And for the fine folks over at TNA, I mean, listen, fantastic workers. As much as people like to say that the heart and soul is gone from TNA, uh, Scott Demore was the heart and soul of TNA. No. No, no. you dipshits. Okay, You're well, the heart well, and soul well, of TNA. We can only swear so many times. You're um, the heart and soul of TNA. I try all to you workers, all of you fine people working in production, all of you people that have been giving yeah. up your time and energy for sometimes free to see TNA succeed. You're the heart and soul of that company and you guys are still there and you're going to do great. Let's just hope that this isn't the uh, corporate bullshit, blah, blah, blah stuff that they come in with. And they're like, yeah, new guys in charge and we're going to do great things. And, and, and our doors always open, but we're not taking any questions right now, which is kind of what happened at their talent meetings. Well, I do. I do think they sell everything. I do think their first pay-per-view back is going to be a very low buys. Well, they have they have uh, they have New Orleans coming up, and then the big one is the one after that, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about they're going to be in Windsor. TNA is going to Windsor, and that is Scott's hometown. The Demore family built half the city. Think about that for a second. So you've got, I mean, now you've got no ring. Uh, you've got no students to help out. Because it's not like, you know, Scott's Can-Am Wrestling School or BCW is going to be so willing to do all of that. I mean, you can get it. It's going to cost you a price and somebody's going to get paid. But you're not going to have that same kind of reception. Uh, Windsor's still going to come out. But I think that their, 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 their attitudes and their venom is going to be a little bit different. Um, you're not going to see those, yeah, let's go TNA kind of guys out there that you're going to see a lot of those, like, we, we want Scott. Scott. We want Scott. We yeah. want Scott. That's what you're going to see. Uh-huh. And then after that, they're going to Philadelphia, Brady. And then after that, they're bringing back the six sided ring. Cause you know what fucking TV people are like. And there's somebody that is in, is a TV executive that's in charge of a wrestling company, which is never ever in the history of the business has ever it worked, worked out. I mean, it worked out well for WCW, right? No, Jim Hurd did do not do well. Oh, Pete, Pizza Man didn't do well. 
So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. It's been one hell of a week. It's Uh, it's been crazy. I mean, what uh, what more can I say? We're a couple days late and a couple dollars short, but man, at the end of the day, Brady, we get it out there. Well, that's because uh, I fought the law on the law one. Uh, Well, all right. You can follow us on socials. uh, Subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're on a podcast provider, please give this a rating whatever you rate it but it just adds to our growth and same here if you're on youtube uh, just give it a like give it a comment you know share it with your mother uh, share it with your father share it with your sister your brother uh, your dog go back find a squirrel play it for him it all helps our growth about cousins no cousins are cut off don't share with your cousins all right you heard that Sorry about that, Eric and Stacy and Andre and all the rest of y'all. But uh, Brady says, F you guys. Yeah, get on out of here. All right. Well, we'll be back out officially again on Sunday with another episode of the Law Live Audio Wrestling. We'll have another lovely guest for you. If you're listening on uh, our podcast provider, stick around for Tid's Kick in the Head with Gregory Iron. And that's it for me, Chris. You got anything you want to say? You know what I got to say, Brady. What? Tuck your chin. Special friends, you can catch Greg and Brad, your smack daddies, each weekend on the SNME Radio Network. We cover our lives, what's happening on the East Coast, and eventually cover SmackDown. Check us out each week at SundayNightsMainEvent.com. Please subscribe to get your smack daddies and the rest of the SNME Radio Network content directly to your podcatcher for less than a dollar a week. We the ones. What's up, everybody? I'm Big Daddy Donnie Da Silva, and it's time for another truth bomb. And you know, last week I wasn't able to throw any hard facts at you because I was having some tech issues in my home studio. But if I had done this segment this week, I had already prepared what I was going to say. I was going to say, everybody calm down. The entire wrestling community lost their damn minds last week. They were all screaming, Cody got screwed. I hate The Rock. This is all CM Punk's fault. This is all part of a smokescreen to distract you from the Vince McMahon allegations. We want Cody. We want Cody. Look, if you follow me on social, and you should, or participate in any of the conversations on the SNME Facebook page, you'll know that last week I was telling everyone to calm down and let the story unfold. Not for one second that I think that last week they were going to have Cody stare at Roman on SmackDown, say he wants that belt, and that it wasn't going to happen. No, I never subscribed to this conspiracy theory that The Rock used his real-life power as a board member to leverage Cody out. I never believed that a WrestleMania main event was actually going to happen in Perth at the Elimination Chamber. And I may not have been sure how the story was going to unfold, but I called it. And I said, Cody and Roman will face each other at WrestleMania. To the troglodytes out there whining, this is just emergency booking. They changed their plans because of the people. I say y'all are adorable. This was the plan. Last year at Mania, 
Cody was over. There's no question. But there was a huge portion of the fan base that felt he didn't deserve it after missing most of the year and winning the Rumbles intro number 30. They still saw Cody as a mid-card guy. And even this year, after having a super hot 2023, winning a second straight Rumble, there were still people saying, mm, Cody still doesn't really deserve it. He's just going to lose again. They want to extend Roman's streak until SummerSlam. Boring, 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 boring. I even heard fans say that they didn't think Cody was supposed to win the Rumble this year at all. And it was an audible called in the ring because Punk got hurt. Listen to me carefully. This was the plan. They tugged at your heartstrings. They tested to see how much you care. And they played all of y'all like a grand piano. If you think this wasn't always the plan, explain to me why Rock was on McAfee's show, on Stephen A. Smith's show, on a whole bunch of other shows the week of the Rumble, saying he wants to fight Roman at Mania, knowing full well that the winner of the Rumble is likely going after Roman Reigns. When Rock was on TV before the Vince allegations dropped, he asked the crowd if he should sit at the head of the table, teasing a WrestleMania super fight. This week after Raw, Cody, trying to control the morons who were issuing death threats to WWE employees, tweeted out, everybody calm down, you're gonna be happy. Because he knew. Y'all didn't know. But he knew this was the plan. Now, the one part I hadn't anticipated was the slick storytelling that happened under the guise of a press conference on Thursday night. That was theater. That piece of business was flat out better than anything during the heavily romanticized Attitude Era. Folks, I lived through that period. People talk about it with more reverence than it deserves. For every great Rock versus Austin moment, we had a proliferation of 45-second matches, comedy skits that just weren't funny, and attempts to shock that felt juvenile. The reason why we love thinking about the Attitude Era is because it was such a drastic tone shift from the way the product was presented before that time, which was dull, cartoony, and boring. WWE has been living in a strict PG world for years now. And last night, with The Rock going full heel, cussing out Triple H in a behind-the-scenes moment, Seth Rollins telling The Rock to F off, everyone doing their best to blur the lines. Brand new era has just begun. Last week, I wanted everyone to calm down and let the story play out, but I didn't realize that this story isn't going to end at WrestleMania 40. The next few months, there's just one chapter in a shiny new book. Buckle up, because shit just got good. And for those of you that doubted me, you don't have to agree with what I say. But remember, I'm Big Daddy Donnie, and I told you so. This is the truth. Well, it is that time again. This is The Law, live audio wrestling. I am Chris Tidwell, Notorious TID, and joining me each and every week is somebody new, somebody that I enjoy talking to, somebody that I think has great conversations, somebody who has an amazing story. Um, and this person has probably one of the most amazing stories 
in all of professional wrestling, let alone the stuff that you see or you hear or anything like that on TV. The story of this man is absolutely insane. And without further ado, Mr. Gregory Irons, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh, I don't know if I can live up to all the hype you just put in front of me, but I'm going to do my best. Well, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? We, we talk a good game. Isn't that the world of professional wrestling? It's up to the promoter to put it over, and then you got to come in and perform and go. Ha! Make me laugh, Greg. Uh, I don't know what I got. <laughs> I can't. I can't dance, and I'm sitting in a chair, and it's even worse. So yeah, that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> that's amazing, man. So how have you been? How's life been treating you up to this date? Great. Uh, no complaints, man. Uh, doing the best I've ever been uh just you know trying to stay busy with wrestling and uh my work schedule and my speaking stuff and patreon stuff and still doing a little bit of podcasting kind of dipping my toes in all facets of pro wrestling if i can avoid bumping bumping i would like to and uh i'm uh making a little bit of money from that so that's nice and uh yeah man i i'm, I'm doing better than i should this is exactly the way that it should be, in my opinion, because I started off doing this 27, 1996 or whatever it was. I don't know, you do the math and too old to figure it out anymore. And then I left that and pursued a career in professional wrestling for 26 years and recently had my last match last December or whatever. And same thing got back into it, doing all of this because you still have the knowledge. You still have the desire to talk about it. You still have a voice to be heard. Um, but it's way easier than taking the bumps. Oh my God. And, and I'm a dude who's, you know, a little bit more quote, quote, air quotes. I'm going to throw them up there built for the business. Um, sure. six foot four, 280 pounds. You are not. No, no, <laughs> ne never was, never will be. But uh, sometimes you have to take the tools that you have, right. uh, accentuate the positives, hide the negatives. And at the end of the day, you have to um, try to stand out. That's one of the goals of wrestling, right? Even if you're not the typical mold, but also uh, you have to learn how to do things the right way. And then by doing so, you can apply them to your individual situation. And I think if you combine that with passion, if you have a true passion for professional wrestling in some way, you can make these things work for you. Is it, are you finding it more though, since, since being in wrestling, this is what I ask people all about, is that it, the things that you learn and the way that you kind of approach things in wrestling also transfers over to the way that you can kind of learn and approach things in your civilian life and vice versa. Right. Um, and, yeah. And I'm sure this is something that you, you've dealt with since, I mean, since you were in knee high to a grasshopper i can only imagine right having to deal with you know shitty kids right yeah so, yeah what was it what was it that like drew you to wrestling because i know what it was for me it was like it was a, a complete escape it was saturdays I, I growing up in las vegas getting to go to the showboat you know to see awa stuff and then sitting in front of the tv watching that and the wtbs you know, Saturday afternoon fiascos, like what was it for you? Whose floor was it? You know what I mean? And how annoying was it to them? 
Well, before I tell that story, you know, I want to backtrack to what you were saying about how you could apply wrestling to life. Um, I feel like as a civilian, you know, you it's trial and error, right? And I think it's just kind of the same way with wrestling. And um, the older I've gotten, the more experience I've gotten in professional wrestling, the more I realize how many parallels between life and sports entertainment there are. And when I'm doing seminars, you know, a lot of the times you can apply life circumstances, life situations to professional wrestling. I think the best example, just right off the top of my head, it's like when I'm explaining character building and a guy's trying to figure out who they are as a character, I say, you know, sometimes you have an idea of what you want your character to be, and that's cool. But once you start learning the trade and getting out there and experiencing things, uh, you you will quickly realize perhaps maybe your character is much different than you thought it was going to be or your wrestling style is going to be different than you thought it'd be. When I got into wrestling uh, at the time, uh, 2006, some of the guys that inspired me the most were like Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Bret Hart, uh, Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, very technical wrestlers, high-flying wrestlers, Rey Mysterio. And uh, I, I wanted to be like, particularly like Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle, like the submission specialist, right? Sure. And then real quick, you realize, wait a minute, I'm five foot four, I have cerebral palsy, one good functioning hand. That probably doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But um, the point of this rambling is, it's like, you know, we meet so many people in our lives, right? And um, whether the relationship is good or bad, these friendships, uh, the relationships with our family members, we have to have these life experiences. And when we walk away from these experiences, it builds a layer onto who you are, right? And so when I'm talking to people about wrestling characters, it's like, that's that's how you build your wrestling character. It's like, sometimes you just have to go out there and perhaps maybe you don't know how to emote something that you can in real life. How do I make that into my wrestling character? Because I feel like if you if it's real to you, then it's real to the audience. Sometimes you have to interact with certain characters and wrestlers and be in certain circumstances that when you walk away from that, it builds a layer, whether good or bad, to who you are. And now you're able to show that particular trait to the audience in, in not only that situation, but in other situations. So wrestling in life, uh, not, not too much difference there, right? You just got to figure it out. Um, I'm done with that part of the rambling, but to go to where it all started, um, you know, my grandma loved wrestling. Mm -hmm. It started with her loving Hulk Hogan and, uh, you know, she showed me WrestleMania six. And so it all kind of started right there. Warrior and Hogan, the ultimate challenge. And it just kind of grew from there because I didn't have the best home life on top of having a disability. My parents were always at odds. My mom and dad were always physically and verbally fighting. And then, you know, I go to school. I'm getting bullied for a disability that's out of my control. And so, you know, it was an escape for me on Saturday mornings or Monday nights. And as I got older, Thursday nights uh, to get lost in these larger than life characters. And I didn't think I was going to be a wrestler, but I knew that there was something about wrestling that uh, I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to figure out how I could be a part of that. And as I got older and smarter to wrestling, you know, I start to realize, well, there's wrestling magazines and there's storylines. Maybe I can write storylines one day, do some sort of production work. And, uh, you know, eventually I come across Zach Gowan who wrestles with one leg. And it was the first time that I saw someone that I could identify with that I could see myself in. And I think that's so important for, any kid in anything that they're interested in, like if there is any curiosity um, to try to get part of that. 
sometimes it doesn't seem realistic until you see someone that is sort of like you. And that's what I saw in Zach Allen. So after I saw him do the moonsault to the big, big show and wrestle Vince McMahon on pay-per-view, you know, I started thinking to myself, you know, if this guy could do it with one leg, one missing leg, maybe I could do it with one bum arm. And that's when, you know, I just started exploring those other options of, you know, finding a wrestling school and, and getting the courage to step foot in that wrestling school. And sometimes, you know, that's the hardest thing is that first step, um, that fear of failure. You got to overcome that. And, you know, I often say it doesn't get any easier than that, but um or it doesn't get any harder than that, but because you've already taken the hardest step, right? Like it's just taking that first step towards your dream, the dream that most people only continue to dream about. You're actually trying and doing and failing and failing sucks, but it is uh, far less painful than living in regret. So that's my rambling. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember that first bump that you took in the ring? Yeah. Yeah. Um, painful you know yeah. not not understanding how to tuck my chin just yet because it is so incredibly unnatural uh more so than those first bumps i remember the the second and third and fourth and fifth bump because once i couldn't figure out how to do it properly you know uh, one of the guys that was helping at the time my first couple of weeks was a guy by the name of adam cage and he was doing the old uh run and sweep you type bump yeah. and uh i don't want to say he was taking liberties but he might have you know been purposely trying to sweep me a little little more than he should have and so i'm repeatedly just being tripped on my head and and you know it's my job to tuck my chin but you know this guy is just like actually taking me off my feet but i kept getting up and doing and doing so who knows how many concussions i had just in that first month of training there's way easier ways to go about training guys to do that stuff man i remember i remember the first bump that i ever took i thought you know because i came from a world of like doing collegiate wrestling and doing, you know, hop keto and fighting and rolling and throwing and all of that was fantastic. And I was like, screw it. Yep. I got this. I got it. You know, boom, boom, weight disbursement, slap down as hard as you can attack it as fast as you can make sure that you go all the way through it, tuck your chin, breathe out legs up to God. We got this. Let's go. Boom. Jump straight up in the air as high as I can. I'm six foot fucking four, Greg. I can right. jump. Right. I jump as high as I can. I come all the way back down. I slap my hands down. I breathe out. I forget to tuck my chin. And then I'm getting woken up. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fun I'm times, out, man. Out cold. Right. And then you're exactly right. Because it's not, it's not that bump. That bump tests you as, as, as a, as a man, as a human, as a, a you know what I mean? It tests your character, but it's yeah. that, it's that one that you're like, okay, now let's let's get that right and take that second one take that third one take that fourth one and then and then the bigger one for me anyways i don't know what it was for you but the bigger one was coming back that second day like you can get through that first one because you're like you know what i'm gonna gut this through then you've got to go home and you've got to think about it you've got to really say to yourself uh, is this is what i'm feeling right now worth it right? yeah yeah i i remember those those first weeks of training you know, walking up and down the stairs and like my back and my neck and everything just killing me, like, like brutal uh, pain that I don't feel like I've felt since because you, your body's getting used to that. I remember thinking, God, is this how it's going to feel all the time? Because if, if so, I, I'm not really interested in this, but for whatever reason, you know, I, I think, you know, you mentioned something about uh, 
those first few bumps testing your will, uh, seeing if you're a man, I think really seeing like how psychotic are you? Like like are, like 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 this is so painful, you moron. This is not natural to the human body. Most people. Uh, 90% of people that are to come to wrestling training are going to take those first few bumps and quit. Um, then some of that same uh, 90% is going to take uh, the bump once and quit. We took the time to decipher the pain, yeah. understand that that's what's involved. And particularly when we brought, b- broke in, you know, I don't know what you thought, but, you know, I read so many wrestling autobiographies. I thought to myself because of what I've read, you know, at some point, an older guy while training is going to beat me up for real to see if I am tough enough. Mm-hmm. And I was prepared to face that. Like, how we're crazy. We're crazy people. And, and all that in consideration, I still went back twice a week over and over and over and over again. What a bunch of weirdos. Pro right. wrestling. It, it- yeah, and our excuse was why we didn't get into like boxing or something like that was because you know I don't want to get hit in the face. <laughs> yeah, don't hit me in the face. Let me just fall on my neck and back and concuss myself. But let me walk into a venue and see if I can pick out the highest point and decide where am I going to jump from tonight. I, dude, I say that all the time. I, I say to myself, if you told me right now, uh, you know, nine thirty at night while we record this, hey Greg, go to the roof of your house and jump off, and I'd be like no, you idiot. Like, why would I do something so insane? Like that, that, what? And and so then you put that same scenario in wrestling. If I'm working a match with someone, if someone's videotaping it, they say, Greg, what do you think about jumping off the roof? I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm, I got at least one person catching me. Right. We're good. Okay. Let's go. What? It's it's, it's a wacky, (laughs) wacky world. Right. When you break it down. Unbelievable. Did you, so, and you came from, kind of the tail end if you started in 2006 that was kind of the tail end of like that that early 2000s ecw kind of mayhem era right yeah yeah really in that transitional period and and i know there's a tie with you and josh prohibition right yeah obviously was that ever something that was weighed in because i know josh caught a lot of heat for like the backyard stuff that him and Matt were doing, you know, yeah. back then. Was that ever something that like transferred down? You know what I mean? To you guys that were training under him? No, no. You know, I think at that point, you know, Josh and Matt had, at least from what I could see, had really started to earn the respect because at the time, I think M-Dog had just started working Ring of Honor. Uh, Josh had done a lot of stuff. Um you know, like the the usual indie place at the time, like CZW and XPW. Um, but he had a really big following up in Canada for UWA Hardcore. He was like the champion. He had so many crazy, good, like technical matches. And it's so funny because like, you know, knowing these guys better now, you know, M-Dog is the crazy athletic one, but he's not crazy about wrestling. And Josh, you know, he's always been the big wrestling fan and he doesn't have the high flying abilities that the M-Dog does. But he had the promo and he had the passion for wrestling like no other. So it's like, it's funny how, you know, Josh is only kind of doing it once in a while now. 
uh, which you know in that in itself is crazy because it's over 20 years at this point and m dog still you know at 42 years old still on the road every weekend just going crazy and josh is okay with like settling down and taking care of his family uh, but i always thought josh was incredibly underrated and i think at that point i think matt and josh were really gaining all people's people's respect a lot more it's funny because i used to go and i, I knew the uwa guys um and the reputation that they had at the time amongst a lot of the other uh, older, I guess, you know, because Ontario, Ontario and Canada was in this really weird stage back then where like there was a commission that would charge you to have a license 75 bucks. And it didn't matter. You just had to fill out a form and send it in. And yeah. then they would charge you for promotions. They would charge you depending on the size of the town that you were running in. How that's how much you paid a flat fee plus plus your gate tax, depending on how and every nobody, nobody paid attention. So you'd have a couple of people running these outlaw shows and whatnot, right? And then these kids come along, these two kids from you know just north of Toronto, right? Osiris and his brother, right, come along and they've got money. And they yeah. build this thing and create this, this thing that came out of nowhere. And it pissed off a lot of people in the wrestling community. Oh, I'm myself, sure. Myself fucking included. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can remember going to one of these shows, you know, and I went there, I, I paid my money for a ticket. I wasn't there to big time or fucking be that guy or anything like that. Paid my ticket and I watched and I was like, wow. These kids are very enthusiastic. Yeah. They're yeah. Very enthusiastic. And they're, some of them are going to do fantastic things, but oh my God, I have to leave. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. But you know, it's funny because, like, you know, I think the, I don't know if it's, if it's that perception so much now because of, you know, years have gone it's on not, or whatever, but like, not. uh, I, I just feel like, you know, backyard wrestling for all the bad that it seemingly created in the 90s and 2000s, like a lot of good came out of backyard wrestling because like these kids, like you, you always see like the negative side of it from back in the day. But like a, a lot of these dudes ran really professional shows, sometimes more professional than the ones that were actually bringing the names at the time and, and had like, you know, to this day, which pisses me off. And I'm sure it's the same in your area. And, and like, um, the, the 40 miler hanger ons, right? Like the guys that got booked on shows during the attitude era, during the Monday night war, when, when wrestling was over and you just put pro wrestling on the marquee, even though your show sucks dick, uh, you know, people came out because it said pro wrestling and this shit bag just happened to be on the show. And now these guys who, you know, by the time I was two years in, I had m many more matches than they had at 10 years or whatever they were working. Um, they're still around to this day, right? Like trying to throw around their veteran BS and like, haven't changed with the times. And um, it's funny because like so many great backyard wrestlers became great pro wrestlers and were incredibly innovative you know like just obviously the the bucks are probably at the top of that list right now but like back in the day the hardys came from the backyard like guys that i'm close to like ricky shane page came from the backyard there's a whole slew of guys like uh mark andrews and, and pete dunn 
You know, yeah. they were backyard kids from England. So it's like really, really crazy. Like if you really dig deep into it, backyard wrestling might have did more good than harm. I think it was I think it was the thing where like it was a societal change too. the people yeah. that were getting into wrestling weren't like there was a lot more when backyard wrestling was doing this thing. Let's be honest. There was a lot more fanboys that that was their way. That was their way of of being a part of it. And they created sure. this this community, their own community, right? And mm -hmm. grew and thrived and came out of that. And of course, just like with anybody who went through wrestling the other way, the quote, quote, traditional way, I went and trained at the Hearts Dungeon and I went and you know what I mean? Like any yeah. of the guys that did that kind of stuff, that didn't mean that they wanted any less. Some of the guys that came from that backyard era probably understood it a lot more because the business had been opened up enough to them where you understand physics, you understand yourself, you know, when you get in there, what you're capable of doing and what you can't do. But then you're like, you know what? I'm really acrobatic and I can yeah. do this kind of a thing. And, and, and I understand story a bit and I understand psychology a bit. And, but I have this group of friends that, and then we elevated everybody. So like, I get it, I get it. But just like in the world of professional wrestling, yeah, you know, there was a time where it was like, even now, even now, you see guys that are coming up, these young, quote, quote, young kids that are coming up. And you're like, whoa, hold on a second, kid. Why are you moving so fast? Why are you pumping yeah. so hard? Why are you doing mm -hmm. so much crazy shit out there? And, yeah. and that was the same thing because, you know, everybody was used to that that different style outside of ECW. Everybody was used to that WWE character driven style. And yeah. along come, you know, this, these guys are creeping from out of the backyard and that was always a taboo a no, no. Right. But nowadays I think you're seeing a lot of guys, a lot of guys who are better are a lot better than some of the guys that I see that come through the traditional schools. 1000%. And, 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 and the, the athleticism has, uh, grown so much but at the end of the day you know um as cool the moves as we're seeing you know i think uh some guys it gets lost on them that um wrestling at its core is still based off of emotional investment right and there's some guys that could do incredibly athletic things that did come to the backyard that uh i like as people but also i could care less about what they're doing in the ring because like i don't have like that emotional connection and and uh i don't know it's it's strange um as i get deeper into like um just interested in like discussing wrestling and being creative with wrestling um, behind the scenes. Um, the bigger of a fan I'm becoming while watching what's happening on screen. I feel like we're in like a, a new golden era of professional wrestling with what we're seeing on television. And I, like, I never thought that I could feel so much like a fan again, because when you get into wrestling, I think you become kind of jaded, but like, man, my last year and a half my eyes have been glued to the screen and it's nice to see my friends be a part of that too but like it's nice to also see my friends and like get lost in the characters and the story and like almost being emotional like like for example when um you know Sami Zayn like hit uh Roman Reigns with the chair at the Rumble last year and, and did that turn and Jay Uso was like I thought you were supposed to be my brother man he's about to cry and I'm about to cry and I'm thinking to myself like why I know Sammy you know what I mean like I used to work Chikara with him all the time like and I'm like borderline gonna cry over this wrestling storyline and I'm like a 36 year old man and I'm in the business like what's going on here 
that's magic, man. That's the magic of wrestling. I don't even know how we got to this, but you know, this is what I do. It's, I ramble. But that's what got, that's what got you into the business in the first place. Yes. Right. Yes. It was that emotional for, do you remember, was there a moment, you know, everybody talks about like that key moment as a, as a kid that was like, boom, I'm hooked. Uh, I know what it was for me. It was, I was watching AWA and it was, it was as cliche as it sounds for me as well. It was a Jimmy Superfly snook a moment, you know, mm -hmm. what I mean? he just seems to be the guy that got everybody hooked for some reason. Yeah. But for me, he was in a program in AWA with Colonel De Beers and they were running this and it was bloody. And at one point Snook is out there working somebody. I don't even remember who it was, but the beers comes out and I was at the show just a couple rows back. De Beers comes out, jumps Snook up, pulls back the padding on the outside of the ring and just plants him face first. And Snooka does the old fucking gimmick and they come in with the ambulance and they haul him off, you know, and they drove like they left the arena because people chased the ambulance and they took him to Sunrise Hospital in Las Vegas, Nevada. And they ran yeah. the whole thing with this deal. And I'm sitting there just looking at everybody in the crowd and the the command of that crowd that that moment had, it was like, yeah. there was, there was women crying, you know, at the, at, yeah. at this. but what did you think was going to happen when you went to this violent display? You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And, and, and now when you watch, when you watch, watch wrestling again, just like that, that had to be that bloodline, you know, storyline had to be one of the biggest things going like yeah. for the longest time. And I think for me personally, I think that that's when you saw Sammy really shine, uh, saw him shine the best with his acting. You know what I mean? Yeah. With his storyline telling was absolutely spot on. And, yeah. and wrestling is doing it all over again right now, you know, because everybody, uh, even us, we're going to, you know, mention the fact, right. That all of this stuff with, with CM Punk coming back just goes to show that you can get people invested so easily if you know exactly how to pull your strings. Yeah. A professional yeah. wrestler, right? Yeah. Yeah. You yourself, I mean, you know, I mean, if I was a heel right now, I'd say a bit of a dick move. You kind of born yourself into a babyface gimmick. Right. You know, right out the gate. But there had to be there had to be some times like, did you start off as a baby? Yeah, but it's funny because um, when I started training, I didn't know if I would be a good guy or a bad guy because I was so used to being bullied. And even though I saw Zach Gowan and what that did on television uh, as a babyface character, my mindset was like, well, what if they boo me because I have a weird hand? Like, what if I have to be a bad guy? Um, so it, I think I worked a couple shows as a bad guy early on, but I didn't know how to be a bad guy just yet. But this goes back to earlier when I was talking about interacting with certain characters and building layers to who you are. And eventually um, it probably took about five years for me to become a bad guy on the regular. And as soon as it was pitched and I heard people doubting that I could be a bad guy. I, you know, in my brain, I was like, hey, you, you're going to doubt me. I'm going to prove you wrong each and every time. And I, and I already made up my mind that, you know, back when I was in middle school and I started to find myself and my sense of humor, 
um, my smart ass attitude, kids would make fun of me. And to try to deflect that, I would make fun of myself better. And but then throw it back at the bully like, oh, by the way, you know, uh, while you're making fun of my supposed disability, you fat cross-eyed freak, um, here's what your um, disabilities. And so um, I kept that in mind when I was going to be a bad guy. Like I have to take everything that is good about the character and just make him an asshole to where when the fans walk away from the show, they go, you know what? Like, I know he's disabled, but I think, I think Gregory Iron is actually an asshole like screw that guy and so that was the mindset it was like you know i had had the success after my thing with cm punk in chicago he ends up coming out with cabana publicly endorsing me the week that he wins uh the WWE championship at money in the bank and so that kind of went viral and my hometown crowd starts booing me like in the months that follow just because you know it, it was like a small section that thought they were smarter than everybody like we're sick of gregory iron this good guy crap and so i was like well i'm gonna flip it on him and that's exactly what i did like you look at me like i'm disabled well you're far more disabled than i'll ever be you're delusional and i leave cleveland and i find success and and now you hate me because of it well i'm gonna prove you guys all wrong and then i am a success and that i could be better than you ever be and um yeah um I don't. I I feel like I'm a better bad guy than a good guy. It defies logic, but yeah. Why is it always? Why is it always when I leave this town? It always seems to be. And so when I leave this town that I've been that I've been living in and part of and born and bred here, my entire, yeah. But when I leave, I'm gonna be so much better than all of you. Well, it, well, well, you know what? But it it goes back to like again at its core like you have to say that because again this small circle of fans right. in the crowd are booing me because i'm being successful and when you start out in wrestling you know how it goes it's like you know people are like patting you on the back like oh boy like we're you know you got to work hard so you can get success but then you start finding success but then going back to those 40 milers earlier they're all behind your back going like well, fuck this kid for getting these bookings and he thinks he's a big shot. It, my, mind you, like you're not really saying or doing anything that's making you perceive as a big shot. You're just losing money, traveling into these shows, trying to garner some sort of success so that maybe potentially you can make a little bit more money on the smaller shows. That's kind of how it works. And um, then everybody like is just the same people that were rooting you on are now against you. And I think that's somehow, you know, and the independent wrestling fans mindset, it's like, you know, indie wrestling is kind of like you know that small punk rock band that you're into and then they get signed to the label and then they start experience experimenting with different sounds and you know they're not as cool anymore because you love that punk rock band before anybody knew who they were and this is how they were originally and now like you know point of the rambling is it's like they want to go against the grain and so you want to go against the grain well i'm going to throw it back in your face and you want to boo me i'll give you a reason to boo me that's oh, what it's all about bad religion stayed the same consistency all the way through right no matter that is true no matter how popular they got right and so did the mm -hmm. descendants so true well, listen i'm gonna there's a guy and i'm gonna blow a little bit of smoke up his ass uh right now from ontario who embodies all of that kind of stuff um you know and i told i told i tell guys all the time put your shoes on get out on the road go travel you're not going to do anything here. You're going to, yeah. you're going to hit a certain ceiling and then that's going to be it. You're going to only learn so much inside of a school, right? But really you've got to learn by being out on the road. 
And the guy that took it to that level and really, really did well for himself doing that is Ethan Page. You know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely mm-hmm. did it. Started his own promotion. I mean, ask Ethan who trained him or whatever. Not really anybody. Did his own thing. Right. You know? Yep. I mean, listen, kudos to him for having the the foresight and the fortitude to just go out there and be like, screw you guys. I'm going to absolutely do it. And yeah. I think that you see a lot more of that um, more often, it seems like nowadays with students. Sure. When you're, when you're trying to, and that's, there's a guy who's developed this character, but not really a character. It's more like just a, like you said, another layer, another layer to, you know, all egg Ethan page as I used to call him all the time because I, <laughs> just look like all egg on his ass all yeah. the time, right? Sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just another layer, another layer, and he's just gotten so good now, right? Do you have, when you're writing stuff and you say that you want to get more into, you know, the creative end of stuff, right? And you're not obviously creating stuff for yourself, but is there anybody right now that you're, you know, creating for and writing for that gets you really excited um so i'm not writing for anybody particularly but he um so i've uh without letting the cat out of the bag too much i've had a couple of opportunities to write some potential stories for potential jobs and um what i'm enjoying in this and you know back in the day before i even started um typing out stories and stuff i had the opportunity when I was younger and we kept it secret because I didn't want to get heat from the older guys that I was helping write the TV show. There was a show in Ohio called pro wrestling Ohio and it became prime wrestling. Uh, Johnny Gargano, uh, his, his stepdad had a hand in running it. So, um, and again, it all goes back to jealousy. You know, everybody back then was like, Oh, Johnny Gargano is only over because a stepdad runs the promotion. Now he's in WWE killing it. Yeah. Did a stepdad get him that job? I don't think that's how that worked, but um <laughs> we had a hand in writing the stories back then. And um, there's a lot of unmet potential with the TV show, mostly because of budgets and because of Johnny's stepdad being kind of a moron sometimes when it comes to, um, you know, again, that indie promoter mindset of like uh, stupid stuff, like sidebar here. Like I remember one time being in the back, you know, it was me, Gargano, Joe Dombrowski, writing television and joe of course you know he's doing so much in commentary and stuff now these days and um you know the promoter would go above our heads sometimes and do stuff that we did not write so one time we're sitting in the back and we're talking and then it's the end of the show and we hear the ring announcer go and make sure to come back next month for the debut of the mysterious wrestler x and i remember looking at gargano being like Who's Wrestler X? And so then after the show, me and Gargano go up to his stepdad and go, what was this announcement about Wrestler X? Like, um, well, you know that sponsor that uh, pays for advertisement f- from the heating and cooling company? And we go, yeah. He goes, well, uh, he wants to come back and wrestle next month in a handicap match and do um, what he's calling soufflés to the wrestler and i said suplexes like is he like trying to say it like gordon sully or something like what's going on here and uh long story short too late uh this dude came to one training session 
and we purposely made him take bumps because we're like, well, you can't wrestle unless you could take bump. And he was like a 40-ish year old man. And go figure, he takes one bump and he goes, oh, that hurts. Like, no shit, Sherlock. Like, this is what we do every week. Like, you're not just going to beat up a couple of students. And uh, the match never happened. But um, so what I've always loved about um, creating stories and doing it now more than ever, especially with more knowledge under my belt, is you know, there's only so much I could do with my character, right? Um, but writing for other people allows you to step into anybody's shoes. And, you know, if you can kind of take the time to understand that character and think about what would they do in this situation? What would they do in this situation? And take from other things, other works of art, other movies and television shows, borrow from those to create um, something where you can paint a beautiful picture within professional wrestling. Um, for my mental sanity especially now over the past few years, like doing more creating. Um, what I really enjoy about it is um, watching other stuff. I used to be so dialed into just wrestling, 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 that it was consuming me. And, you know, as we learn to uh, more about ourselves as a human, as we get older, you realize that is not healthy to just be wrestling 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 all the time every th second of your life and it it ruins not only relationships you have with other people but your relationship with yourself and so over the past few years um growing changing and reminding myself like oh yeah like i like this thing over here or this thing over here and actually taking um pieces of those other things that i enjoy i can now incorporate that into wrestling and now my wrestling is better like my wrestling mind is better because i'm not just so lost in the sauce of everything being pro wrestling 24 7 and so like just um the point of this rambling is like for my mental sanity being more multifaceted um has not only bettered my life outside of wrestling but has made the creating within wrestling so much better and um i don't know like i, th I think that is really the um the second chapter of my career is creating behind the scenes and I'm, I'm i'm okay with that i think sometimes people have too much of an ego and they want to be in front of the camera and uh i i have so many people that want to wrestle particularly in my case a lot of people with disabilities who come to me and say oh i want to be a wrestler but you know i don't know if i could do it. and i i try to tell them like keep in mind that if you can't do it physically mm -hmm. um to where it's believable if you're passionate enough about it, you could find a way to make it work. And I'd like to think that if I didn't become a performer in the ring, I would have still taken the time to learn in a school the proper way to do it and then mentally convey that creativity into some other form of professional wrestling. So, I, I you know, you can't quit if you're passionate about it, right? You just got to find a way, find an excuse or you find a way to make it work. Here's the question. When you say you have enough of the enough people you know, with disability that want to do it, do you have enough for a roster? A roster of disabled people? <laughs> That's what I'm, like, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the question for all the promoters out there, for, for all the Whipper Watsons uh, in the world, um, do you have enough to put a team together? Uh, <laughs> you know what? If, if, uh, if you don't count physical disabilities, I think that there oh, well, probably would be enough. Jeez, you could go to any locker room anywhere and find enough of us with mental disabilities. We're all we're all mental, di mentally disabled <laughs> somehow. But uh, I don't know if there's 
there's probably a solid roster out there. I mean, you'd have to really, you almost have to do a talent search, but I've met over my years of travel. I've met other wrestlers with cerebral palsy. I've met deaf wrestlers. I've met blind wrestlers. Um, You know, it's, um, it's amazing um, what some of these individuals can do and do it safely. And they know their limitations. Uh, I have come across some that do not know their limitations, um, but it's also because no one has taken the time to say, Hey, like what you're doing is not believable. And like, that's not like, um, it's not any disrespect, right? Like as performers, um, whether you have some sort of mental condition or physical condition, or, or you're just some normal Joe Schmo, like if you get in the ring and it, it looks bad, like, there's two things. You either find out the things that you could do good, which I had to do, which there are a lot of things that I did poorly training with Johnny Gargano and Josh Prohibition that I had to come to terms with and be like, I can't come to training with three new moves every week that suck to try to keep up with Gargano. I need to stick to what I'm good at and then find like transitions and like storytelling devices so that I could create the illusion that I am a better physical wrestler than what I am. Um, if you cannot do it physically, you got to find a way to do the limited things that you can do physically, make it work, or do something behind the scenes. Because like, at, at, like um, one of the guys that I saw with a disability before I started wrestling with cerebral palsy, his name is Dan Edge. He wrestled in the UK, and uh, I think it's still on YouTube. There was a match with him and um, Corey Graves when he was Sterling James Keenan, and they're wrestling in uh united kingdom somewhere i think it's for one pw and uh sterling whips him into the ropes and because he has cp bad in his legs this dude is like running in a very not believable way to where as someone with cp watching it it was uncomfortable for me and when we're creating this magic that is professional wrestling we have to make the illogical logical and in that moment you know, I was just taken out of it because I was like, God, I, I feel bad for this guy, but not in the way that I should. Not because Sterling James Keeney was beating him up, but because he's just in a situation that he is not meant to be in, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you can't, if you, not everybody, not everybody gets the De Niro role. And there's a reason for it. If you don't have the ability to be that character, that doesn't mean that there isn't a spot for you in the business. For sure. There's so many things to do inside of the business. And I think yes. that that's what it was a lot of the times before back in the day was there was there was all of this stuff still to do in the business, but it was only being done by a very small handful of people. Yeah. There was also only a very small handful of companies. But now there's so many different companies out there. There's so many different facets for people to make a living, not just as performers, but as people working in the office, as people in the writing, as people, the producers, as the you know agents, whatever, whatever the fuck we're calling them nowadays. You know, yeah. There's 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 room for a lot more people, and you have the ability to draw from these people's minds. More importantly, you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that I'm excited about, about pro wrestling, because I have since being away from it, you know, being, being on that every, every week, every weekend on the road, every, you know, the training the I've, I've broken my neck, you know, doing, doing all of this. I've, I've had a double compound fracture in my left, you know, tibia and fibula, you know, that held me back mm-hmm. for uh, on the shelf for a 
long enough time, you know, but sure. you get, you get very, very jaded with the business. There's no doubt about it. And I see that like nowadays there's a lot of kids out there that are, and I call them kids. There's a lot of kids out there that are very passionate about the stuff that they're doing. You know what I mean? And thankfully, thankfully we get to see it happen before our eyes. Yeah. Are are you still are you still taking bookings? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still taking bookings. I'm still taking bookings. Um, but I'm I'm picking and choosing. You know what I mean? Like I uh I want to make money because it's a business, but I also want to have fun. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to I don't need to be out there every weekend, which is the great thing about spreading myself out with uh other things, like things that I never imagined could come from wrestling. Um to, to monetize, like I'm monetizing, like having speaking engagements where, you know, I get paid, um, much more than wrestling, um, to go out a lot more. I'm seeing this a lot yeah. more with wrestlers too. Like, you know, my friend Cody Diener does yes. a, a number of these things, you know yes. what I mean? And, yes. and he's, he's doing a fantastic job. I, I love Cody to death and there seems to be a lot more acceptance is that is that what it is? You know what I mean about yeah professional wrestling, but but like don't get it twisted. Nobody was bringing Ming to their school class, you know, to mean to talk about the dangers of drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. But you know what? Like I I feel like now that like now that the business is more open, and I think um, we're more receptive to the idea that it's entertainment and that there's a story behind the story. I think. Um, you know, that's encouraging to kids. And in, in my situation, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's speaking at schools um, has been the only thing that I find as fulfilling as wrestling. And never in my life did I, did I think I'd find something that makes me feel that way. But much like wrestling, you know, um, there's a lot of talking involved and you get that instant feedback. And it's so awesome to be that person that I wish would have came to my school when I was a kid to tell me like, Hey, you know, it might seem dark right now, whether, you know, it's something happening at school or something at home, but I promise you, if you keep going, if you keep moving forward, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It might take you a little bit longer than you'd like to get there, but you got to keep moving and you got to keep pushing towards the things that you really, really want in life. And sometimes in doing that, you'll find other things that, you didn't realize you wanted like becoming a professional wrestler to rub it in people's faces that told you you couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden you're speaking in front of, you know, five, six, a thousand, fifteen hundred kids or uh, adults with developmental disabilities and sharing your story and making a difference in their life. Um, that's something I could have never imagined uh, creating a podcast because I sat on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast and Stone Cold told me, Hey, kid, you ever think about starting a podcast? And uh, I was like, no, everybody has a podcast. And then I did it anyways. And then, you know, I create this community of a hundred ish people that are on my Patreon that are now friends all over the world. And, you know, you know, you have a couple thousand listeners every week listening to the show. It's humbling. And there's money to be made in those things. If you take time, you take the effort and, um, you're consistent with it. You know what I mean? So like I have these other things happening where it's like, you know, if a promoter is going to be a, a dickhead and like, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm not going to name names or anything, but you know, there's a, uh, back in the summer, someone contacted me about a show and um, 
you know, it required a flight. They got me a flight. And then I was going to go see a friend in this state while I was there, stay with them anyways. So I was like, well, I haven't seen this friend in a while, an older wrestler. I'll hang out with him. Um, but, you know, if I need it, I, I want to see where I'm staying in a hotel. And so I contact the promoter and I go, um, hey, um, what hotel am I staying at? And they go, well, we never discussed that. So then when that happened in my brain, I was like, strike one. And uh, I was like, that's fine. Like, you know what? In my brain, I was like, I got somewhere to go. I don't really need a hotel. It'll save this dude a couple bucks. And then um, I got my flight information like two days beforehand. And I noticed like, like my bags were not taken care of. Right. And I don't want to seem like a prima donna when I'm saying this, but like, you know, in any other job, like if my job, my, my week job was going to send me on the road somewhere, my, my travel would be covered, right? Like there no questions asked, like it's going to be taken care of. Um, so my bag is not bought for my flight. And I, I swear to you, Chris, I freaking, I, I said to myself, I'm going to message this guy and ask him if he's covering my bag. And if he's not, I'm just not going to get on the flight and I'm not going to go because I'm not dealing with this shit. Like, it's just like, like, I don't, I don't need the, the headache. And so I messaged the guy and I had already made up my mind. Like, I'm going to have to just not go to the show. And I was, and he's like, Oh yeah, I'll send you the money right now. I'll PayPal you. What's your PayPal? And I was like, boy, you are lucky. Wow. <laughs> Cause you know what? Cause like, like, I just, like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't need that, the headache. And it's like, um, um, the reason why I started taking a break over last year was um, as we're recording this tomorrow, it's been one year since my dad passed away. We had like a very, um, we had a very weird relationship, very back and forth, up and down. And um, he got sick uh, with cancer really bad. And so, you know, I started helping him with my brothers with that. And it's one of the most difficult things I had to do. And um, losing him you know, when you lose someone like that, even if you have, you know, uh, a volatile relationship with them, it changes you, right? And so um, physically, there have been times where, you know, I probably took like four months off after he passed last December and like phys physically it didn't feel like it was in my heart. And sometimes when I go out there, um, I got a lot of anxiety now that I didn't have before. And it's like, if I'm, if I'm going to a show where I'm wrestling a guy where I, I have a feeling he's not going to be so good. I think to myself, Oh God, I got to wrestle this guy that might hurt me or kind of sucks. And I want to make a good match. And then if I'm wrestling someone that's good, I go into it with a different anxiety of like, Oh no, now I have the pressure of having to have a good match. Like, am I able to have a good match? Like, I don't freaking know. And then I go and do it. And you know, nine times out of 10, everything turns out. Okay. But it's like, you know, personal loss, changes you and it changes you for you know the worst sometimes but also you know you got to take the positives out of that situation too you know if you change your perspective the world shifts around you and um as much as it sucks to lose a parent um you know over the last year um it's allowed me to focus on other things in my life and better those things um my relationship with my two brothers um had been strained for a long time it's allowed me to be closer with my brothers than, you know, I've been in a long time. Um, you know, every cliche, everything happens for a reason, right? You just got to take the time to find those reasons and um, create reasons to keep going. So like, you know, that all that being said, like uh, last uh, last week I was in Canada and I wrestled Del Bruno for the first time ever singles match. And like, 
man, he's so freaking good, dude. Like, and uh, I, it was one of those moments where it was like, this is why I keep wrestling. You know what I mean? Like for, for moments like this to create something artistically fun for us and for the audience. And then afterwards, you know, I was asked by the promoter of top tier um, to stay over and uh, I wanted to get home, but then he told me it was because he wanted me to, to meet with a couple kids with disabilities and do an interview with one of them. I was like, no problem. And, you know, I'm, I'm interacting with this kid with CP and uh, he, you know, he had very spastic cerebral palsy and he couldn't be verbal, but um you know, I know from my personal experience working with people with disabilities that even though, you know, sometimes they can't convey what they're feeling, right. they could still hear, you could see it in their eyes, and uh, they, they they still understand what you're saying. And I just had a discussion with this kid and just his reactions to all of it. You know, it was hard to control my emotions. And it's like, this is why I'm a wrestler. You know, every time I feel like I have one foot out the door, you know, I have matches and moments like that to just make me realize that, like, you know, we look in the mirror and we're we're just us, right? Um, but sometimes you got to step outside of yourself and realize, you know, and this is not even like a wrestling thing here. Like, you know, sometimes when we feel at our lowest, you know, maybe we don't want to be on this planet anymore. But then we have to take the time to think about, you know, the impact we have on other people's. And if we weren't around, if we weren't doing the things that we're doing, how that would affect others. And um we're more important than we realize. And we got to keep doing the things that not only make us happy, but can help others keep moving forward. Yeah, that is probably the most adult thing you could say. It's absolutely 100% true, but it's not something that you learn until you're older in life and you've experienced those things that put that all into perspective for you. That's yeah. absolute truth. We don't listen to it when we're younger and it's told to us because no. we have to go. We absolutely have to go through it. Yeah. I've got one more for you here and I want to get this before we wrap this up. And thank you so much again for doing all of this. We're going to do more of these because talking to you is just a treat. For me. Yeah, this is fun, man. You know, um, you talk about meeting those kids and you talk about doing this, the, the, the talking spots. And the speaking uh, roles. But when you wrestle, what's the line? You know what I mean? Because I've always said for myself anyways, when I'm in the back and people are cutting a promo or whatever, right? And inside of the world of wrestling, I'm like, I don't care what you say. Like you can say whatever you want about me out there. Because in my mind, all of this is bullshit. This yeah. is all bullshit, right? Yeah. But there has to be, and if you go out there and you do these public speaking roles now, there has to be somewhere in your mind, I would think, you know, what message do you convey to some of these kids out there that like, listen, this is not giving you an open door policy to become a bully at your school when you come to one of these shows and see one of these things. I don't understand it because I don't do any, you know, public speaking positions or roles or anything like that but so i don't get it so that's why it's intriguing to me how how hard is it how difficult is it for you to still be able to portray that that you have to be a good person in life but then i'm going to go work on the show that you're going to come to and you're going to hear this guy that i've given the green light to say some really fucking nasty things 
Yeah. Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, you have to, uh, if they don't already know, you, you have to help these kids understand that like we're telling stories, right? It's so different than, you know, any book you read or a movie you're watching or a TV show, you know, uh, most of these programs, especially now with like TV shows, like they're so multi-layered and like there's, you know, uh, shades of gray and like good guys could be bad guys and bad guys could be good guys based on their actions. Like I think um, television movies over the last few years have really uh, smartened people up and, and, you know, I think we all think a little bit deeper than we care to admit. And um, at the end of the day, you know, wrestling is this weird thing where we are pretend, but then, you know, people will get up in arms about certain things we do because it's wrestling and it's real, but it's not real. So it's like, where, where do you, where do you draw the line? Right. Um, but at the end of the day, you just got to let these kids know that we are telling stories. And if I'm the good guy underdog and I am being bullied by someone like, and I gave him the green lights because, you know, in the end, there's got to be a lesson out of this. Even if in the end I lose, you know, the idea is, you know, you're going to take losses in life. Right. And it's how you deal with those losses. And, you know, I think Rocky Balboa said, you know, you got to take the punches and keep moving forward. Right. And I've said that a lot here. It's like, keep moving forward, keep moving forward because like, um, you know, you got to be transparent with these kids because they're smarter than they're probably given credit for. And, you know, it's not all sunshines and rainbows. And, you know, we could stand until we're blue in the face and talk about, you know, don't bully others and, um, you know, ignore the bullying and, you know, keep pushing towards that light at the end of the tunnel. But there's so many variables happening around us to try to bring us down. Right. And um, I could say, don't bully others or don't be a bully. It's still going to happen. Right. But again, it's all about perspective and how you handle these individual situations. And so when I'm out there as a performer and I'm telling these stories, you know, take what you can out of the situation, even if wrestling's not your thing, just understand like, this is my way of trying to help people through the good that I do in these stories, the bad that I do, you know, even, you know, someone with a disability can be a bad person and they need to learn a life lesson from it. And, uh, you know, it's it, at, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you just want these kids to, to have the best opportunities at life that they can. And if we can tell them stories through wrestling and they can learn something from it, then that's really what it's all about. And it, as far as the line goes, um, you know, if we're not talking in terms of kids, like I personally don't think there should be a line. I'm not offended by anything. Um, for the most part, but, um, other people are offended. And so you have to be cautious about what you're doing. Like, I'll give you a, a real perfect example here. Like, um, when I started to realize that we, there needed to be boundaries is a few years back. I used to do a spot all the time where, a guy would make fun of my hand. So he would do this thing. Right. And that was the thing that when I was a kid, um, profoundly hurt me when kids would do that in school, like this shit. And so, um, you know, the spot was, I told the guy like, Hey, mock my hand out, wrestle me and just keep doing this. Right. And then the spot is eventually, you know, um, he shoots me off out of a headlock. I hold on the ropes. He drops down. And when he drops down, I stomp his hand. 
So then he gets up and he's selling his hand like this and he does a three six or a one eighty and he turns around and then he's looking at me and then I pull up my hand like, oh, I'm like I'm mocking him and then he realizes what's happening and then he throws a shot at me and I duck it and I start firing off on him. So then a parent came up to me after and not maybe understanding how wrestling works, she goes, you're great, but that guy you're wrestling, I can't believe that he would do what he was doing as someone that is a parent of someone with a disability. Like, you know, I, I hate that I had to see something like that. And I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, she doesn't know that I told this guy, hey, please make fun of my hand. So you got to know what's going to affect other people. And you do have to draw some sort of lines. But again, at the end of the day, we're telling stories and you just got to, you know, there's other way to tell that same story without doing the hand thing, right? Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, the correct answer, Gregory Iron, is that if you want to find out Mr. and Mrs. with your child, you're going to have to keep coming back until we do this thing called a blow off. Yes. <laughs> And, yes. and secondly, Rocky Balboa was a piece of shit. He used to go around breaking people's knees before he got a chance to be a boxer. Let's not hey, forget he, what a he, horrible he, human he was. He didn't want to do that, though. Right, right. He just did it for the money, right? I think there's you another know, he, profession that's just as bad for that stuff. It's hey, man. Professional wrestling. You go back and watch Rocky 1, okay? And you think about all the times in that where he was like questioning, what am I doing? I don't want to be this bad guy. And then you tell me, you tell me with a straight face that your heart doesn't melt. When him and Adrian are in the hockey rink and they're having that moment, he's kind of a dork and she's kind of a dork and they have, and they just, ah. I can't. Don't disrespect can't. Rocky, man. I can't, Come on. It's, it's Philadelphia. I can't. And I mean, I'm an Eagles guy through and through. So, all right, you know. all right, you make a good point. That's fine. <laughs> Gregory, I want to thank you so much for joining me here. Uh, let's do this again very soon. I wish you yes. all the best in the future. If people want to get a hold of you, just to uh, send you unsolicited uh, pictures and money, uh, where can they do that? You can find me on social media. Uh, I'm on uh, X, as the kids say. Uh, at Gregory Iron. I'm not very active on there because it kind of sucks and it's a cesspool. But if I have to promote stuff, I'll go on there. Um, it's easier to find me on Instagram at Gregory underscore Iron or find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Handicap Hero. And you can DM me on any of those platforms for pro wrestling, seminars, and or motivational speaking. And I'll get back to you as soon as possible. <laughs>